Hello, listeners, and Happy New Year. I'm Fran Palaro, Senior Editor at Pharmaceutical Executive, covering the sales and marketing vertical. I'm here today with Amanda Powers Hahn, Chief Marketing Officer at Greater Than One. Amanda is an established healthcare marketing and communications leader with over 20 years of experience with a proven track record of building brands, leading clients, and helping propel Greater Than One into its leadership position today. As CMO, Amanda is responsible for building strategic alliances, identifying new client opportunities, and leading marketing and media efforts. She also helps me out quite a bit, and I really enjoy our conversations. I see Amanda as the tip of the arrow when it comes to advertising and marketing mixes for pharma clients. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. That was such a wonderful intro. Thank you very much. It's exciting to be here together and always love our conversations as well. It's well-deserved. So let's treat this a little bit like a review of 22 and a preview of 23. What was gaining momentum in 22 and what do we see going forward in 23 in terms of trends and the pharma media mix? Overall, in terms of our business, there has been a tremendous amount of momentum around the innovation in the rare disease space. 2022, many of our new clients launched disease education campaigns to try to shape the marketplace around a number of different unmet needs and ultimately prepare, we hope, for some very exciting innovation in terms of new products that we're going to support them bringing to the market this year. Beyond the overall industry, though, some of the specific marketing and media trends that we're seeing, last year there was quite a bit more focus on healthcare professionals in terms of investment. And that's interesting. You know, I think coming out of the pandemic, of course, there was a tremendous amount of disruption as we were all preparing and, and pivoting during the pandemic to engage those customers specifically. More emphasis, though, and it just really opened up last year in terms of the amount of money we were seeing invested, the different types of professionals that we were engaging, and even the expansion of some of those target lists in terms of the customers that our clients were were looking to engage. And then in terms of, of media specifically, as I'm sure you've seen, you know, the ability for us to leverage data to be able to build very sophisticated targeting techniques is continuing to to gain momentum. So there are a number of new data partners in the industry that are offering ways for us to target customers that were not available before and a tremendous amount of focus on first party data as well. So just in terms of that trend, you know, the the targeting techniques and the emphasis that we were putting on targeting strategies was was significant last year. And then also in our agency space specifically and kind of connected to the targeting and data point, we're seeing agencies buying up capabilities to expand their own capabilities, both in terms of, you know, acquiring those partners and or building their their own capabilities within. So just a lot of movement in the agency, in the industry uh, space to try to continue to build solutions that help deliver meaningful ways to engage customers in terms of their clients. That makes sense. And, and you mentioned the focus on HCPs in terms of investment, which is funny because I've been hearing a lot about like patient centricity. So how much is being focused on the patient as well? Hmm. A lot of focus on patients and caregivers. Uh, about half of our clients are in the rare disease space. So in terms of our purview, you know, those are very, very small patient and caregiver populations. So some of what we are seeing is probably driven 
by the small audience segments that we're trying to engage. And of course, right-sizing the investment to be able to reach those groups. In more cases than not, the healthcare professional audience tends to be a bit bigger. So when you're dealing with rare diseases, you know, you might be focused on, let's say, 1,000 or 1,500 patients across the U.S., and finding those patients is a huge challenge. It also, though, does drive the level of investment that is appropriate to, to find and engage them. Healthcare professionals, when it comes to the target lists and even some of those specialties that we're working to engage, can be, you know, 4,000, 5,000, sometimes even 15,000 key customers. So some of what we are seeing is likely a bit bent because of the emphasis that we have in, in rare diseases. I think I remember you mentioning something about in rare diseases, you don't really have a lot of patient advocates. What we see in the patient advocacy space for rare disease are a lot of grassroots organizations. Mm -hmm. So in more established, you know, conditions and or therapeutic areas, you see advocacy groups that have much deeper resources in terms of being able to engage and support the industry. But in the rare disease space, a lot of times it's, you know, someone's own personal story that drives them to, to build an advocacy group. And, you know, those are sometimes the associations and organizations that don't have the resources are very local in terms of their ability to engage the industry. Um, and so I think it's a matter of those groups being less supported, if you will, in being able to deliver on their efforts and working so incredibly hard to be able to raise the funds to be able to do their good work. And then what we also are seeing, which is really interesting, are some organizations that are trying to bring those advocacy groups together in really creative and unique ways. So we're also starting to, to work with some of those groups that have, you know, exclusive opportunities to both reach and engage some of those rare disease populations because of the credibility that they've been able to build specifically, and also the way that they've been able to connect the dots between some of those grassroots groups. Let's focus on social a little bit. What's the biggest change you've seen over the past couple of years with clients in social and of course, heading into 23 now? You know what? It just social is so exciting on so many levels. The first thing I will say is social has moved from being an incremental consideration in terms of the marketing mix to an instrumental part of the marketing mix. All of our healthcare and pharmaceutical clients are investing in social. They're investing more money in social. They're investing in social across all of the different audience segments, so patient caregivers and healthcare professionals. And one of the biggest trends we're seeing, and pharma is finally getting more and more comfortable with this idea, is leveraging influencers and creators to help build social marketing campaigns. And that is a seismic shift, an exciting one, and also, you know, a little bit scary in terms of, you know, being able to think about your brand as part of a conversation to relinquish a bit of that control to individuals, so those influencers and creators that have their own brand and voice, and to figure out the governance behind being able to, you know, build those campaigns and deploy them in a way that makes the, you know, MLR, PRC uh, organizations comfortable, which essentially is, as you know, the, uh, the med reg within our, our pharmaceutical clients and making sure that we're doing everything in, in a way that's compliant. Nice. 
So what are you seeing in terms of like, let's cover HCPs, the approach to HCPs and patient caregivers? I know HCPs have a, a heavy presence on Twitter and we should probably dive into that at some point. Yes, yes, what's yes. the difference there? So for healthcare professionals, as you know, there are a number of different platforms to consider. So we have the dedicated healthcare professional platforms. So those are your, you know, Sermos, Skipta, Doximity, et cetera. Those platforms are really excellent when it comes to deeper healthcare professional engagement. So if you think about some of the overall purposes of those platforms, you know, Sermo could be considered the Facebook of HCP Social. Doximity, perhaps the LinkedIn of HCP Social. In every case, though, physicians, healthcare practitioners are going there to engage in deeper, more immersive content. They're looking to connect with their peers. They're looking for the opportunity to collaborate in some cases as they work on difficult patient cases and or they're trying to think about the next best thing when it comes to you know, how they can deliver better care to their patients. So with those programs, we are building much deeper, more immersive content to engage them in a meaningful way. When it comes to the broader social platforms, so Meta, even Twitter, LinkedIn, usually the paid marketing programs or the paid media campaigns that we're running there are more either awareness or engagement driven, where we're looking for the opportunity either to provide a targeted branded impression, which can be, as you know, an important part of the marketing mix, and or drive a specific action off-platform. So with HCPs, we're able sometimes to engage them, let's say on Meta with an unbranded ad. That unbranded ad, though, would probably more likely link to an unbranded website for one of our clients versus immersing them so specifically within those platforms. So to kind of sum it up, I would say that the HCP dedicated platforms, so you know, the Sermos and the Skiptas, et cetera, are much more in-platform and immersive content programs, whereas Meta and Twitter usually focus more on exposing that physician to a branded or unbranded message and then hoping to, to drive them offsite. I believe in a previous conversation, we had talked about Medscape had some sort of new development that was really immersive and, and cool. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Medscape is an exciting partner and absolutely an innovator in the industry, just in terms of the breadth of programs that they offer for us to, to consider and to think about based on, on different client business goals. One of the areas of opportunity on Medscape is to engage DOLs, so digital opinion leaders, which essentially are the digital equivalent of a key opinion leader and a huge opportunity for us to be able to bring physicians together around a key topic with credible voices in the industry. Another one that from our point of view is very exciting is their patient simulation program. And that is an extension of what they were seeing in the CME space, physicians engaging in these simulations so significantly so that they spun off a promotional product from it. And that is the, the patient simulation program where we are identifying, let's say, two or three patient cases. They use their own production studio 
and create a simulated environment where the physician and the patient are having a conversation as if they would in the office. And it's interactive. So there are questions along the way, and we're finding that physicians are engaging with these programs. The programs are meaningful because ultimately we're helping put forward those patient cases in really kind of a real world setting. And as they answer those questions along the way, offering them opportunities to think about the diagnosis journey, think about the treatment journey, and hopefully just, you know, expand and or refine their view and how they would treat those patients. That's cool. I like that approach. I mean, I think that's how I'd want to learn if I was a doctor, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if you just, if you take that kind of up a level, it's thinking about marketing instead of marketing being us delivering a message and being so brand centric, it's thinking about marketing from the perspective of how can we build content that truly supports our customers and helps them deliver better outcomes to their customers. Or in the case of patients, caregivers, ultimately, you know, being able to help them live a better life. So from my point of view and our point of view, if we can think about content that delivers meaning and that a brand has a role in terms of, you know, bettering that experience for those customers, that, you know, serves a purpose in a much broader and more important purpose than delivering a brand message and, and thinking about it from that view. Exactly. That's such a great association for a brand or to a brand. Okay. What about targeting patients, caregivers? A month ago, we were talking about TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. How and why are these utilized and how does the content differ across these platforms? So before we talk about the differences across platforms, one of the areas that we've been thinking a lot about that is necessary for us to continue moving forward across all platforms is the need to pivot to video. Video in terms of the format, of course, is what you think about when it comes to TikTok, right? So that's where the creators are producing these videos, where as a brand, as we think about showing up on TikTok, it is video centric. It's also, though, true for Instagram Reels, for Facebook Reels, YouTube, YouTube Shorts. And, you know, this is not only for patients and caregivers. We're seeing a tremendous amount of video consumption when it comes to healthcare professionals as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, outside of the different platforms, and of course, there are important nuances, we are putting a lot of time and attention on how we pivot to video and develop videos that are both thought through from the, the perspective of the platform that they're going to be living within. And also, you know, back to that idea of how do we engage influencers and creators to become part of our brand story. Just a couple of the nuances that we're seeing across some of the platforms. We are still seeing that more pharma dollars are being spent on Facebook and Instagram. So that in many cases is one of the first platforms that our clients are investing um, both in terms of pilot programs and also some of the evergreen campaigns that are supporting their business goals. As we think about some of the younger generations, though, we are continuing to think about TikTok, YouTube, and you know, YouTube is massive. And we're still exploring ways that we can both build and launch campaigns on the YouTube platform. Because from a targeting perspective, it's not quite as great as some of the others. 
and then when it comes to Twitter, I mean, you know, Twitter and what's happening with Twitter right now, I think we're all still on the edge of our seat. So our point of view on Twitter is more of a, a wait and watch scenario. So some clients are comfortable keeping their campaigns up and running on Twitter, um, though it's usually when there is a very specific target audience and we can be more confident that their ads are likely not being exposed across some of the content that is so questionable. In terms of new campaigns on Twitter, we are for the most part recommending to our clients that they not focus on building new campaigns on Twitter yet, and that instead we we uh, we need to take a little bit more time and see how how all of this is is going to kind of sort itself out. Okay, yeah, I was wondering if that had changed from like a month ago. So we're still in a wait and see scenario. Still in a wait and see scenario. Um, you probably follow the news as well as I do. So while it's a watch and wait scenario, you know, we're also watching very closely and having conversations with clients sometimes either on a daily or you know more than once a week basis to make sure that we're sharing the latest and greatest with them and that they are still comfortable because there's just a lot of movement in that space and so we're ensuring that all of the latest events are something that our clients can take into account so that they're not you know surprised in any way if the campaigns are up and running and and they're not comfortable yeah, and we do know that the HCPs love to be on Twitter. It's like a huge community, right? So you'd think that it will slowly get back to where it was, I would yeah. think. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, wait and see seems like the move for sure. Well, and it's it's interesting that you brought up, you know, the audience is there because that's one of the most important considerations, isn't it? So we are, as you've you've said, you know, we're seeing that all of the healthcare professionals for the most part are still on the platform. And of course, you know, some of them are exploring some of the others that I'm sure we're all reading about. But for for the healthcare professionals specifically, they are still engaging there. And so there's um there's still an opportunity for, for us as marketers to be part of the conversation. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the pod. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to, to doing this again, maybe six months down the road or maybe a little bit later in the year. Always a pleasure to talk to you though, Amanda. Thank you so much. That sounds great. Fran, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of PharmExec Podcast, where we take you behind the headlines to provide expert tips from industry leaders. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter, at farmexec, on Instagram, at farmexecutive, and on YouTube, Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of PharmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions or to get in touch with the editors, please email us at farmexec.com at mjhlifesciences.com. For sponsorship opportunities, please go to farmexec.com backslash advertise. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.